American United is the full-service credit union for our veterans. Learn more about their 1% cashback visa with low fixed rates as well as cash back on every purchase. It's one of the ways they can give back to their members. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Mylan Advisors. I'm Jess Larson. This is our Innovation and Leadership Show. We're here with part two with Kelly Max. He's the CEO of Hoff International for the U.S., And I think you have to be able to be flexible. We have to offer our customers flexible solutions for the right application in the right field. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. $400 million a year shaping the way people work with their people inside their companies. Uh, If you didn't listen to part one, please go back. He talks about um, their big win getting Daimler, um, you know, owner of Mercedes and their 285,000 staff as clients recently. Um, So, Kelly, I'm looking at the uh, newswire about you guys having the fourth consecutive year in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for uh, talent management suites. And for everybody who doesn't know Gartner, can you explain just a little bit of why that holds so much credibility and then talk about why you think you guys have been in there for the fourth consecutive year? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so Gartner is one of the big research firms, probably the most credited research firm that everybody looks to uh, in regards to their market analysis in different fields and different industries for different solutions. Um, and and Gartner, obviously, Gartner is um, it's very. I would say they're they're very they're global, but they're still very U.S. driven. And um, they come up with a magic quadrant for different areas where they um, describe who or the, where they basically make an assessment. It's I think it's 1,300 questions um, that you have to go through, plus um, reference surveys, 
with customers, um, and then they make an analysis and they place you. Uh, either you, I mean, first the first step is do you have to get into the quadrant? Um, if you if you don't match the profile or if you're missing certain elements for a talent management suite, you don't even get in. Um, and if you're in, then they measure you based on how visionary you are, how much of a leader you are, which is highly connected to revenue size, um, and if you're a niche player. And um, uh, Gartner actually. Um, recognized us now for the fourth consecutive year um, and with with growth. And, and if you look at the last three years, um, we, I think there were 21 um, or 19, um, 19 vendors. Then uh, last year there were only 13 and this year there's only nine left. So you see how the market is consolidating um, and also how it, for us, it's great because we're, we're proud to be in there and be the number one in Europe and, and be on the, on the uprise where others go down. Um, it's great that actually our solutions that we develop really carry us in there and, and give that, give that great recognition to the outside. Yeah. Well, and we talked a little bit about this in the first episode, but, um, for people who don't really, maybe they aren't familiar with the talent management suite, um, can you talk about what the advantages are to a customer of being able to have these, you know, all this HR information, the recruiting information, but also handling the, you know, the training and development um, and, and just being able to have dashboards for all of it in one place? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the way that we look at the world is that you have um, different types of organizational designs and you have different types of readiness of people. And I think the the big where where everybody came from and, and, and was really to drive efficiency. HR was kind of that department of being the police of the company, and it changed slowly. At least on the stages at certain events, they talked about how HR is becoming a business partner um, and what that actually really means. But there was not really there were not really solutions in the market um, to to really um, to, to manifest that that's those statements and. Um, over when, when you think about, um, having a large organization, um, the people are your biggest asset, right? They're, 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 they're the ones that actually, um, come up with the new ideas. They're the ones that actually make the ideas that are in the room work. Um, and I think the one thing is once you have covered your base processes and have your, your process in place, um, what we what we lack a lot is that we actually don't look at the employee as a customer, and so making taking a look at the employee as a customer and then pulling data and and understanding that this is not just a machine that I'm managing, but there are humans behind that actually um, run this. Um, a tool like ours, Talent Management Suite, can help you to find better talent because we use we leverage machine learning. Um, to mix and uh, to match um, job profiles and desires of people with upcoming positions somewhere in the world within the same organization. And it allows me to recognize what career development plans a person has, which ultimately feeds back to giving that person a more fulfilled life, which affects their energy level, not just at work, also at home. So it also has a social, great social impact. Um, but it actually allows for people to not have to decide for one specific career at one point in life and they're stuck in it and only because it pays the bills they stay there. It actually allows people to evolve, to become, to perform at their peak because they bring in their intrinsic motivation um, that, that really is the biggest driver for performance and, and their, their open mind. And so I, I derail it a little bit from your question, but why, why I said that is I think it's not just about um, having that data available. I think it's very important that we 
have dashboards and that we can manage processes like recruiting. Um, but I think it's even more important that we challenge those processes with um, actually looking at the user and, and what he actually needs and what the outcome of that process is and what the best way is to get there and not just buy the next BIS suite or our suite. Like we had, we had implementations ourselves um, where we implemented a process that the customer wanted that we didn't believe in and we still did it. And, and we're not, we don't do that anymore. We don't want to in the, it develops something where um, a company is not bought into putting people first. Um, so, but maybe I think I derailed a little bit from your question. Um, the maybe sharpen sharpen again one more time um, where where you wanted to go. <laughs> no, I thought that was great. I think we're fine on that. I think okay. um, it, it does make me think of something though. You know, so um, at Mylan we're doing some sales training for one of the largest companies in the world. Everybody would would know the name if I could share it. And they've really expressed to us um, some of the the new ways that they're selling their very large programs and how they feel like decision making has has changed a lot. And especially post 2008, where people are, you know, more tight on budgets and they want more proof. And, you know, in the name of being collaborative, now uh, uh, an account rep can't just get one decision maker and get sign off and get something done like legal's got to weigh in and compliance has got to weigh in. I imagine this has got to be very similar for you where you're not just selling an individual, you're selling, you're selling a committee that on this talent suite. Um, and my question is this, in, in our client's opinion, uh, there is the number one enemy is typically not your competition. It's, it's the status quo. It's the, well, HR, HR isn't broken. Like we haven't gone out of business so far. Why should we spend so much money with you? In your case, how do you guys approach something like that of, wow, Kelly, I mean, that's, that's an amazing, but you know, we already have an HR department and, mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say things are broken yeah, and yours, yours is, you know, like that, that would be quite a bit of money and sounds like a lot of work. How do you, how do you attack the status quo? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very good question. I want to explain it based on an example. Um, I think you're, you, what, what you experience is exactly what we experienced too. The status quo is um, basically, um, it's, it's the, sometimes it's the biggest competition. And I think the, the status quo also entails that a lot of companies are developed in silos or they're working in silos. The, when you look at, for example, the recruiting, um, when you recruiting is an HR topic and it's an ATS, an applicant tracking system that you want to implement to, to make the process more efficient. If you look behind that, there's actually so much more potential. So we're working um, or we're working on a big, uh, big uh, deal right now uh, with a apparel company. And we actually said, well, what if we make HR a profit center? And they said, oh, that sounds great. Like, what does that mean? Nobody ever came to us about <laughs> make HR a profit center. Because and I'm really, really passionate about this because I say in order to give HR more power, you have to play the rules of the game. And the rules of the game is that you make money um, in order to get closer to the CEO seat. You get more budget. You have to make money. And you have to prove that you're actually driving the business forward. So proving to drive the business forward, we do with success scoring. We actually shoot for business goals. We derive the business strategy, we implement the HR processes and the solutions, and then we measure and we can actually have data in order to say, hey, dear CEO, two years into the project, do you see how more innovative we are? Here are the numbers based on our change for certain interventions. That's one thing. The second thing is how to make money. And if you look at HR, for example, it's always about um, reducing costs. But I think it's the wrong end to start. It's definitely an important one. You want to be efficient. But how can you make costs? And I think what then what we proposed was that we said, well, 
why don't you look as at your consumers as potential candidates? And why don't you look at your potential candidates as consumers? So what if we could develop a process where you're one, you're engaging with potential with consumers and allowing them to also work with you and become part of that talent pool community because they're already bought into your brand. Why do you don't want to use that energy and look at other processes in um, B2C apps that you have in your community apps, in your stores? And why don't you open up and say, we want to also attract you as a potential. If you're a fan of Nike, you already have a plus. It, oh, sorry. Uh, okay. But if you're a fan of, of, a, of a company or, or Adidas or whatever, you have already have a plus. Um, if you now, um, we want you to also think about working for us because we want you to, um, we want you to, to become part of that talent community and vice versa. If I go out and I look for, um, for a new job, and I actually get an experience that is consumer-like and not cumbersome, like all these other mm-hmm. application processes, you suddenly feel recognized and you want to stay more engaged with a, with a company A that has that rather than a company B. And you can actually, we, we made some calculations where you um, actually, if, you, if you're able to say you have a million applications a year um, and let's say you have um, uh, you get 10% of them, would buy something in your store if you have a B2C product um, for $80. Um, or 10% of them actually go to the store and 30% or 10, 30% of them actually buy something for $80 to $300 or they become a recurring customer. You already have almost $100 million on the line there. Um, just where you as a jar can say, we have not had this and I can, we can actually contribute to our 2020 goal of becoming an XYZ billion dollar company. And you change the conversation. So back to what you asked at the beginning, I think in our case, what we're doing in our approach is we have to enable HR with new ways, with videos, with mock-ups, with canvases, with campaigns to walk over to marketing and sales and business development and say, hey, by the way, guys, this is what we have to offer. And suddenly you speak the same language than marketing and sales speaks. And now you can have a conversation at the same table and suddenly the silos start to melt and you can develop a new idea that goes across the different departments and actually benefits the whole organization. So the key message really from my side is you have to enable your customer to enable them to do their job inside to get to your ultimate goal and have <laughs> develop a new marketing suite. So this is really exciting to me. Um, it's funny because I have a lot of friends in marketing and there's a lot of complaining these days on um, – Man, it was so much better when all we had to do was create something that was creative that the customer liked. Now our ads actually have to work because they're getting tracked. You know, I think there's, I think there's a lot of folks in, you know, maybe who have been in HR for a lot of years and haven't had to think this way <laughs> that might be a bit threatened by what you're talking about. But thinking about <laughs> the whole next generation of, of HR and this opportunity to not be the redheaded stepchild at the executive meeting and actually show up with an Excel spreadsheet and talk about numbers uh, like and talk about profits instead of just employee engagement. I mean, this is a chance for them to earn like an adult seat at the table, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think you change the pattern, right? If you come in uh, as HR and we all put HR in a certain corner, still there it would be a lie if we don't. It's it's really we all do that. The whole society does that. The economy does that. HR is HR, and it's still it'll take a while till that till that picture truly changes and we hit the the, the critical mass. 
But um, if you do that and if you if you have a brand that allows you to do that and you start having those conversations, you have to be very persistent because you will be you will be trying to shut be shut down immediately um, just out of habits. Right. You're not the why are you talking business? That's out of your job. Um, so you have to make a really strong case and you have to make sure that it's backed up. Um, but it is the chance to really bring people focus driven through HR to the organizations. It's a huge chance. And I th- I would wish more customers would be bolder and, and, and work with us to, to arm them for these board board meetings. Um, and with some, we're doing great strides. So I, I only can encourage everybody to, to think about this and say, well, what does it actually mean to make HR a profit center and to get real numbers and to track the success of, of our company's success and, and be able to, lead, to tie it back to actually some people-oriented initiatives in the, in the organization? Yeah. Um, again, I just think it's almost like giving them the, it's like teaching them entrepreneur school skills, <laughs> entrepreneur, entrepreneur skills within their ecosystem to all of a sudden, cause it's, it's like you said earlier, Absolutely. being able to justify why you want more budget. Well, you got to speak the CFO's language. You got to speak the CEO's language. And that is not like fuzzy feelings and assessments. It's, you know, dollars and cents that fits on Excel spreadsheets, right? It's black and white. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like they, we, it's not emotional. It's just very factor and, and, um, and on the other side with sales and marketing, it's, it's really emotional, right? So you, you can't just go in with one pitch to, to, um, four different stakeholders. You have to win the CEO in one way. You have to win the CFO in another, and you will have to win the chief marketing <laughs> officer in the third. And I think one thing that, that is, um, one of my things that always was important. I learned that from one of my early mentors and he said, Kelly, you have to understand how the people think, then you can lead them. And, and I said, well, what, what do you mean? And I was, I was young, I was 21 and I had my first team, um, that I managed. And I was literally sitting in there in my head in front of my, in front of my, my then one input, my team, one teammate. And I was trying to look at this head and think, well, how does this person think? And what does that mean? And I, I recognize over time, like if you throw little stones, like questions, if you see react, reactionary patterns um, by asking specific questions, you can see how a purple actually, uh, how a person is wired, and you can help that person understand better what you want to bring across by speaking their language. And that helped me also in, in this case, what you said, how does a department, how is a department wired? What's the language that they speak, as you said? Um, and really try to, if you don't have the skills, to speak that language back to them, then find somebody who can find somebody in the organization, maybe in that department that is um, not directly involved in that process and say, well, how do you guys do presentations? How do you make pitches and learn from them and then bring it to the person that's actually your, your, your real stakeholder? You know, um, along those lines, some of the best advice I ever got about learning somebody else's language, you know, somebody wants a real practical start there. I remember getting the advice the, the first thing to do is go learn their acronyms because once you can have a sentence and you use their acronyms and you know what it means and they know, you know what it means. There's like, yeah. that's like your first level of acceptance, right? Um, Absolutely. So I want to talk more about this though, because it is the future of anybody who is a large organization working with other large organizations. You know, if, if you want to make, if you want to get a large client, you're likely going to have to speak multiple people's language. And then you're going to have to get those four people to agree later on, right? Because you can't just get the CFO's sign off because he's going to show up at that meeting with the head of marketing later. 
Like you need a way to attract them individually, but then you got to get them all singing from the same sheet of music. Do you have any advice about helping them identify a common enemy or helping them identify a common goal so that, yes, you're talking to them individually, but it's in terms of something they can all be a part of any strategy, any tactical advice there? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think what the, the, the way that we approach it, um, or the way that also large customers approach it is that, um, first, as you say, you have to win the stakeholders individually, um, in the boardroom or in the big decision room, there's always a different energy and there, there are different power, um, power regulations than if you are in a one-on-one where he has the biggest power. Um, so what you want to do is you want to you want to find some champions that champion for you. And the best thing is, of course, always look at the person that is maybe the most challenging. It could be the CFO, right? Um, it could be um, another stakeholder, and and really work with that person up front so that that person has no open questions and can be a backing to you. Because ultimately, normally, what the CEO does, he looks in the faces of the others. Um, and he, he might be the one strong leader and he says, no matter what you guys think, we do this. Um, but that's not really in large enterprises. That's not always the case. In some cases, it's really like look in the other faces. And if they don't back you up and you don't have not done the groundwork, then it becomes challenging. So you really need to do the, the preparation and, and the groundwork up front. Um, and just know your buying center. I think it's the same, like, it's the same if you sell, if we sell to the customer, if HR has to sell to their customer, which is the board, apply the same rules and know your buying center and do the work up front so that once you're in there, you know who your supporters are and who you can actually interact with in that meeting and pull them in to your pitch and let them pitch it actually to the people and confirm (laughs) why it's good. And not just try to do this work yourself. Yeah, it's like that movie Inception, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Love it, by the way. You know, yeah. it's such genius. Couldn't agree more. My question is, why do you think more of us don't do the preparation you're talking about? I mean, you say that, and I'm just like nodding my head here, completely agreeing. Um, but wh- why do you think it's so tempting for us? Do you think we're just lazy? Why do you think more of us don't spend that much time investing in advance before that meeting happens, knowing who's who and who's who in the zoo and and who your yeah. champions are and having them armed? Why don't the rest of us prepare to that level typically? I think there are two, really two reasons. I think um, the one, one reason is you say that it's laziness. Um, I think that's one thing. Um, if you can approach something like that and, and, and have, have laziness in the room, it just doesn't work because you have to dig deeper and better. And even if it feels complex for you, you have to make the complex simple for the boardroom. And that requires work. Um, just because at the end it's on one page, a decision paper, um, and you have to speak to it, you might have gone through a hundred pages of PowerPointing and process design and whatever to bring the key elements to um, to, to the, to the plate for the decision. And I think laziness is just account is counterproductive. It just doesn't work. The second thing, um, I believe is that you don't believe in it yourself. Mm. Um, if you, if you believe in it, then there's laziness should not even apply. I think too many times, probably (laughs) I would almost uh, be a little provocative here, but I think for these big decisions, these big changing decisions, 95% of the time, we don't even believe in what we, what we're talking. And that just doesn't fly. Um, I, I just don't believe that if, if you would be a customer of mine and I sit in front of you and I tell you how we revolutionize the HR space and you would get a sense 
of disbelief in me, you would not go with me. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 the eyes that speak the truth. Um, you can be you might have if you if you have if your eyes shine and if they sparkle the confidence and the and you can create a feeling of trust in that room, even though if maybe on the slide two things are wrong or they get challenged. But if your eyes speak, we can do this. And I am standing for what I put on paper here. That's the key. That's I think that's the really the special sauce that you need to provide no matter what. And it's hard because sometimes these boardrooms, they look at you and you're kind of, um, you're, I don't want, maybe sometimes starstruck. It could be like you're being starstruck and you don't get out what you want to say or you're, you're scared. Um, but you have to go in there and you have to deliver. And then if it doesn't work, then at least you know you delivered with all your passion and all your belief. And normally if you deliver that way, um, Jess, I think you'll win. Maybe it changes, maybe in a smaller scope where you get a starting project. But if you deliver and if your eyes speak the truth, then then you win. So I just want to let you know that I'm completely planning on plagiarizing you. And I'm like totally stealing this statement <laughs> that your eyes speak the truth. That's so great. It's, you know, you think enthusiasm is contagious, right? And I, I just love the way that you said that because um, our customers do take a signal from us, you know? Absolutely. Um, for, for, for or against making that, making that sale, right? Making those friends. Um, well, listen, uh, we've been talking about big customers. Let's, let's shift gears for a minute. Uh, we'd like to ask all our guests for advice about our charity, child rescue, trying to prevent child trafficking. Um, you know, we've been helping build a aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru and funding some under uh, undercover rescue missions and, uh, youth prevention campaigns at high schools and colleges back in America. Um, what advice would you have for us there as far as attracting more people to want to get, to want to get involved in protecting children? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to, I think I said this last time too, I think um, you, you have to make sure that you um, are on the right channels. I think you have to approach this uh, in a way that we market a product. Um, because in the end, um, in, a, in, in a such digitally polluted world that we are today, um, we only see the stuff that is in, our, in front of our face, and in, our, you know, in front of our nose and in our face constantly. And we only have such limited amount of time, um, if we want or not, but the, the way that society is, is r- working today is we have so much limited amount of time. We have to do so many more things and we have to respond to so many more messenger apps and we have to do so many more things that I think um, it is fair to say, yes, we want to base this on the back of the, 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 good, the, good, the goodness of the project. But I think you also have to approach it somewhat in a way where you say we have to get this more in front of people's uh, of people's faces and more often in the right channels in order to make people more aware. And then you have to have an engaging process. I think um, I, I I have to I really want to look at it um, uh, more more deeply uh, and 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 to really give a c- concise feedback. Uh, I'd love to to do that um, in the next days. But uh, but I really think in general with charities, I think the, the branding aspect of it is so huge. And ultimately, that's a great I think it's a it's a fair investment if you then multiply the 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 um, the, 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 the what comes back from from the people that, that see it. I think it's, it's really good to do so. And I think sometimes we struggle with the fact that um, because it's a charity um, thing, we can't apply business 
processes. But I think that's totally wrong. I think we should apply what actually makes other brands huge and invest those things that work there and put them on the good things, on the charity pieces that really need that attention and that really need need that that buy-in from so many more people. I love it. Okay. Well, the website's helprescueachild.org. So I'd love to get any of your thoughts. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the conversations we've had and um, it's clear to me that you have a value in dialing into humans you work with, you know, on, on a deeper human level, one-on-one. Um, if you're thinking about uh, someone who maybe is in a leadership position and they're considering, hey, should we move from once a year annual performance reviews to, you know, once a month boss employee coaching or, you know, like more of this trusted advisor, valuable advisor type of relationship with their own staff? Um, I'm just guessing that you do that kind of thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. And if you do, <laughs> what would be your sales pitch to other people, the benefits of, of showing up and listening for a change instead of only delegating? Mm-hmm. I, it's funny that, that you bring it up because we're, we're, I'm actually right now, um, we're architecting our new performance management tool. And I think, um, the, as you said, one is, I call it the manager-driven um, uh, performance review. The next level, if you dial up, would be the employee-driven um, performance management or contribution management. And then the, the ultimate state would be the team and network driven performance management. I think the, the fact, I think what we, why we, why we actually offer our customers to be able to in an operating system, for example, in performance management to start where they are today, um, and then be able to basically dial up their agility level um, and on that path, educate employees how to do more entrepreneurial and self-driven and then show them the benefit of actually how team teams uh, outperform the individual um, multifolds when you look at team goals and team purpose. Um, I think the, the fact that you have to appreciate where the customer is today and give him a solution there, but then offer him the flexibility to dial up. Um, is actually the future. I think it's not one or the other mm. because you have certain you have certain business processes in companies like Daimler, for example. You have some some uh, uh, departments um, where um, where you have you need classic performance reviews. It's just the business structure on the engineering mm-hmm. line or, or production line. It's a different structure of the business than in your business development, your innovation department, in your leadership garage or wherever. And I think you have to be able to be flexible. We have to offer our customers flexible solutions for the right application in the right field. I don't think that every department has to work in a network-driven environment. I don't think that every department should at all work in a classic rigid command and control structure, but both have value. And I think what, what we try to do is we want to offer an operating system that allows you to manage that, um, that flexibility um, and to be still able to report, to still be able to have your dashboards, to still be able to know how you can maneuver um, your staff um, through, the, through the upcoming years um, or let the staff maneuver you um, towards a clear target picture of where the company is supposed to go. Yeah, I love it. You know, um, it's a good point that it's not an either or. And it's a good point that it's not it's not just one way or the other that that team aspect could really be bigger than, than either of the other directions. Um, you know, thinking specifically more on the principle itself, and, and I know we're about out of time here, so maybe we'll end with this. But um, as you look back at your career, do you have any bosses that really stand out to you as somebody that actually listened to you and, and did that have an effect on you? Absolutely. Um, I think, um, well, I have a, a couple. I think the first, the, my first boss, uh, the founder of the first company that we built in, in Europe, 
Um, he actually gave me a lot of this knowledge, but I applied it different than him. I think he applied it with a, uh, a negative mindset. Um, and with the mindset of, um, I need the power. And if I know how people think, I can manipulate them. And I took that key message and actually applied it with my values. Um, and my values didn't, they're not, they're not there. They're actually <laughs> the good, good values. And suddenly it came out to a very different solution. But the key, the key message was the same, but it would apply it with different values. Um, and so I listened to him a lot. And, and it was the first seven years after high school of my career where we built this rapid growing company. Um, and I listened to him a lot. And then I am glad my parents gave me tremendous, really great values that I could, didn't even know how to apply it in the way that he did. I just apply it with, uh, with the good in mind. And it turned out to a very different result. Um, then I think right now, I think like Mark and I, for example, our global CEO and me, we, we are sparring partners. It's not like he's above me or me. You know, it's like we're really sparring partners and he listens um, to he appreciates my opinion and he, he listens to me and, and I'm bringing in the modern American way in many ways. And I listen to him and sometimes we're buttheaded, which is good because we're respecting each other so much. Um, we're, we're fighting these things out, but in a good way and in a healthy way. And so, um, just, just, I want to highlight him there because it's, I really appreciate the work with him, um, in, in that regard and to what you mentioned. That's great. Well, uh, any closing advice, uh, before we let you go here? Just well, about anything, anything in life, business, anything any, you want. <laughs> anything in life. I think I, I want to foc- finish with where focus goes, energy flows. I think that's, that's, it gave me so much. And I think just as, as a finish, I said it before, but think about it a little bit and, and try to understand what it means. And it will, it will open up a lot of different ways of looking at things. Um, and, uh, maybe focus on Hoff.com, H-A-U-F-E.com and check out what we do. Um, and, uh, I hope uh, I see, um, you and, and, and a lot of people who are listening soon. We're very open. We have very open doors. We're happy to chat. As you know, as I said, we invest in the beginning, um, and we're happy to invest with whoever's interested in talking to us to do things differently and change the world, a company at a time to a better place. <laughs> I love it. Let's end there. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.